I realized recently that I haven't had a real life disruptor on Small Biz Matters before. Someone who recognizes early the potential, the uniqueness, and well, the magic of their idea. Coupled with a desire to make true change, disruptors are a special type of entrepreneur. Carl Goff, the speaker of Meet Magic, is one such individual. Listening to him, you can't help but get swept up in the excitement of making real change in the events, meetings, and conference industry. He is a passionate disruptor. Along with all the corporate execs, software partners, and the Starlight Foundation that he actually supports, he's like a bull at the gate, ready to make you rethink your preconceived ideas and bring you along for the ride. Welcome to Small Biz Matters with Alexi Boyd. Whether you're listening live on the community radio network or via podcast, here's the show where you learn from experts, be inspired by journeys and discover more about making your small business a success. I'm Alexi Boyd, broadcaster, advocate and small business owner. Let's meet today's guests. Welcome to the show, Carl. Thank you so much, Alexi. That was a great introduction. <laughs> it's good fun. I'm really excited about today's program because I haven't had someone on the show who is a real disruptor. I mean, you talk about people who are doing new things with tech and they go, oh, what if we do this? And you're like, yeah, it's been done before. Or, well, someone else could have thought about that just based on what somebody else was doing. But what you're doing is really throwing everything out and starting over. And it's it's refreshing because, um, because of where the events um, and conference space and meeting space is at the moment, of course. Yeah. So, Let's let's talk firstly about the business growth market where you beautifully position Meet Magic. Tell me a little bit about what you think is inherently broken about it. Um, well, I think when I look at the, the 40-odd clients that we've got, they are the top um, branded companies on the planet. They are the, the top tech companies. I mean, in terms of Gartner, Gartner obviously are an events company as well, they they have, the, they have this thing called the Gartner Quadrant. Well, most of our clients are the top right hand side of that quadrant, which are they're, they're the best of the best, uh, you know, best of the best tech, cybersecurity, artificial intelligence, and whatever else they are. What they're telling me is that they are sick and tired of wasting twenty or thirty thousand dollars, or 40, even more in some cases, on these events that very rarely produce anything other than a scanned badge. Now that's a problem when when you're a company that's you know out for growth because you've you've got all of this all these scanned badges and all these email addresses and nothing more for your money. Mm. And that that I think for us is 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 the thing that we're disrupting. We're disrupting the fact that you know there's 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 very little outcome. I think a lot of these marketeers from the from those companies have one objective and that is to get in front of decision makers. And at the moment. It's costly. It's unpredictable. And so we flip that completely on its head. And, and that's what I, I, I do notice, thinking of, of my time in the events industry. They speak about these numbers or the, the badge scanning as some sort of a selling point. <laughs> and at the end of the day, it's, um, it's not a selling point. It's not a real human connection. It's just give me that squashy stress ball or that possibility of winning an iPad. You can scan my badge. I'm going to go away and not really learn anything about your product. Is it, it becoming more and more meaningless, do you think? Oh, absolutely, absolutely, completely. It, it really is. And I, I think it, that squishy ball is nothing more than landfill. And I think a lot of these conferences are just contributing to the to the problem with problems with landfill and plastic. But it's it, it literally is a problem. I think when you look at the process of what's happening with these, these scanned badges and they're called marketing qualified leads. And a lot of marketing um, 
people are KPI'd on these. So the more scanner badges you get, the more successful you are. And unfortunately, in the real world of business growth, a scanner badge doesn't equal at all any, any possibility of a, of a deal. And ultimately, the, the reason you go to a conference is to stand there and find deals. So these scanned badges, they go back to the office. And of course, there's, all, there's always 20 or 30 others in the, in the office, in a, in a conference doing the same thing. They go back to, the, back to their offices on the Monday with all the scanned badges, and they send them an email in, in their outbound marketing campaign. And so all of a sudden, you're an executive and you've just you know, got 20 emails landing in your inbox. What's the first thing you're going to do? You're going to unsubscribe from those emails because you just don't want to be harassed for a meeting. And that's what's happening. That's the broken part of it. And it only takes one button to do that these days. I think that's what these marketers forget is that it's one thing to give you a list. It's another thing for the conversion. And they wipe their hands of it. They say, well, you've got your list. That's what we promised you. That's what we said we were going to give you, floor space and a list. It's up to you to do the rest. Yep. And is that something that you're feeling, um, particularly those people who are buying that that space, are becoming more and more frustrated with? I think so. And, and, and it's, not, it's not just that. We call these things snouts in the trough as well. And there's a lot of roundtable lunches that go on. There's a lot of one-on-one um, introduction. So I think a lot of the conference companies, and there are some great ones out there, by the way. I'm not just saying all of them are, are, are bad, and they're all doing it tough right now as well, which is even even, even more difficult for them. But um, there's a lot of broken pieces out there. Most of our clients are saying they're sick of wasting twenty or thirty thousand um, dollars to get nothing in return, and and it's literally the the snouts in the trough roundtables, and I call them that because it's often the same people keeps turning up over and over again to sit and listen to a pitch from a vendor. And that pitch is nothing more than a pitch. And then these, these execs disappear and go away and there's no conversations. So you're, you're a small company or you're, you're just launching a business in Australia. You spent $25,000, $30,000 for a roundtable lunch to pitch your product to 20 or 30 C-suite executives. The problem is they've turned up just to eat and have no real intention of buying anything. So, so it's about those genuine connections. I mean, I guess... Is it another step that needs to be in between engagement and then them coming where you actually, at that point, you start filtering out what's the point, what are you trying to achieve by coming to this, who do you want to meet? I mean, surely there's some software or something that can achieve that. (laughs) Yeah. Look, I think, you know, for us, we talk about purpose all the time and the purpose really is the value in the meeting. And we've, we've created like an altruistic based approach to business meetings now, which is really showing the results. You know, we use seeing the data coming in which is just showing that the value of these meetings are are much more powerful they they've got these 90 plus percent ratings on them because they know regardless of any outcome of the conversation there's something positive going to happen from it because there's, there's going to be a donation to charity and that that's going to mean some good's going to come but what it really does is it opens up the heart for a conversation which is really changing the game because it now means that you know the executive's actually doing some good in that meeting Meeting, all of a sudden that time has become valuable and as a result of that it's it, there's, there's a whole psychology behind um there's a whole psychology behind the brain and the way the brain works so when salespeople typically turn up to, to a decision maker the decision maker's got his arms folded or her arms folded and they're saying okay what are you going to try and sell me yeah well that 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 fight or flight mechanism in the brain we're, we're bypassing that completely because we're now going into the different part of the brain, which is the problem-solving part of the brain. And the, that, and the conversations that are happening off the back of that are just much more powerful. And that's leading to business. It's leading to much more powerful conversations and better engagement. So I think, I think, the, I think people now are craving 
to do business with companies that have purpose. And that's, I think you're starting to see a lot of companies now reevaluating their suppliers, reevaluating their, their business model to make sure that whatever they do, whoever they give money to, it has an impact somewhere. And that's, there's a lot of that going on right now. And there's also a lot of legislation that businesses need to be aware of, things like anti-slavery legislation and, like you said, that that sustainability quotient, particularly those who are pitching this idea not only to the client but also to their shareholders because they have to be seen to be doing the right thing. So Meet Magic um, obviously uses that altruistic side, gives everybody the warm and fluffy feels. Are you essentially just like a matchmaker between people to make, make sure that people are making the most of their time? Well, you know, ultimately, we, we sat down and had to evaluate this because um, when we were asking the question, what is in it for the executive? It, it obviously has to be a, a valuable use of their time because why else would they do it? Because it, it's okay raising money for charity, but there really has to be an, an, another reason for them to actually take these meetings. And uh, and we've discovered that it is because they're super, they're much more curated. So they're highly um, curated in, in, in the sense that the person coming to see them ultimately feels there's a great conversation to be had. And because of that, there is. And that 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 means that we're actually adding value to their time. Now, the, the value here for the exec is that they get to sit down and have a really valuable meeting, which is obviously not, not a waste of their time. Um, but, but as a result of that not being a waste of their time, it's actually meaning that they be, get to become much more engaged in their own job um, and as a, as a result, a much better leader. So we're seeing that 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 inherent value of, of 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 respecting the time that it's not just you know you can you can have a free ticket to a conference but you must give us some one on one time with the vendors who have paid the money. Often when we see those one on one speed dating sessions happen, the executive that's taking that meeting is is mentally checked out, not really there. But what 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 we're seeing with our meetings is that the, the it, they're super engaged. And that's there's a, just a very different level of conversation. And when it starts off, you know, with an altruistic side to it, you you, you just get the sense that the, all of a sudden the executive wants to engage and help, as opposed to put their arms up and, and say, "What are you trying to sell me?" So the disruption comes from the fact that they want to be there, as opposed to they have to be there, which is the typical model. Absolutely, yeah. I, th- I think that's you know, I think a lot of ego drives. Um, the conferences and the event space. I think there's a lot of executives that take, you know, free free conference tickets. And, and ultimately, I've spoken to lots of our executives. We've you know we've got over 500 of them on our on our on our list. And and then and they they tell us that a lot of the times they take the meetings at the conferences just to go and meet their peers. <laughs> so they'll they'll turn up to a, an event not to help anybody, but just to, to, just to catch up with people that they've not seen for six months or a year. Because it brings them all from all over the country. They all come in, they all fly in, they're all in one place. It's great. Now I can meet with these guys that I wouldn't normally be able to do. Exactly. Yeah. I think COVID, I think the closing ceremony of the Industrial Revolution is really putting paid to a lot of businesses. Um, and I think a lot of those businesses are gonna, that are struggling are the ones that, that, that can't obviously iterate. And that's, you know, I, I, I can't help but think the conferences will come back. Mm. Um, but I think they'll come back in a different format. I don't think, I don't think it'll be... I don't think it'll be as rife as it was pre-COVID. Yeah, and it's not even it's not even as though it'll be 100% face-to-face. We're going to see things where there's a hybridization between actual real-life events where people have the opportunity to network because that's a lot of what people want, but then making more valuable use of their time where you can 
kind of pick and choose which which um, education things you want to be part of, make the most of your time. I mean, ultimately, this this whole disruption thing that you're doing, it comes down to people valuing the attendees' time and um, the people who are selling stuff and the execs. Is is that what it, the bottom line it is? It ultimately, yeah, that's it. I mean, I, look, if you you know, the, in, in the psychology world, people only value what they pay for. They, they chase what moves away from them and they always want what they can't have. Um, and so I think when, when, you know, when somebody's paying for a meeting and they know that that payment is actually doing some good um, and not just lining someone's pockets to buy a Ferrari, then all of a sudden there's a whole different paradigm shift that's taken place for that meeting to occur. And that, I think when, you know, most of the executives that take our meetings come back for more, you know, we've got some of them that have done 10 meetings so far. In fact, we were just about to um, have a, a celebration of, the, of how much money we've raised for, for Starlight. And I've invited the top five to come along. And I looked at the amount of meetings they're taking. And it's really quite remarkable. And I, you know, I can only, I can only assume that they, 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 would, they take these meetings because they're, they're making an impact and they feel good about making an impact. So they get their, their whole, whole personal branding gets a boost off the back of it. Indeed. And, and it's a good um, it's a good icebreaker too. You know, they're starting out their conversation and they can talk about how great it is to be here and how much money they're raising for the Starlight Foundation, which is a wonderful thing about what you're doing. We're going to take a quick break here on Small Biz Matters. And when we return after the break, I'm going to speak more to Carl Goff from Meet Magic about what it means to be a disruptor how you recognise that you've got the potential to be one and then where to go from there. You're listening to Small Biz Matters. We'll be back after this. This episode of Small Biz Matters is proudly sponsored by the Australian Small Business and Family Enterprise Ombudsman's Office. Led by Kate Carnell since its establishment only four years ago, Aspifio has provided education, advocacy and support, including free assistance if a small business is involved in a dispute. The office also provides assistance for disputes that fall under the franchising, dairy, horticultural and oil industry codes. Kate Carnell, as an independent advocate for small business owners, has the legislative power to influence our nation's lawmakers, ensuring legislation and regulations are put in place to help small businesses grow and in these times, survive. Small businesses are the engine room of the economy and it's Aspifio's role to do all they can to ensure they have the freedom to innovate, employ and thrive well into the future. Welcome back, everyone, to Small Biz Matters on Triple H 100.1 FM. If you've just joined us, we're speaking to Carl Goff, Carl Goff from Meet Magic, who is, of course, a bit of a disruptor in his field, and we're really intrigued by the story, the journey that he's gone through, and the recognition of realising that there's something wrong that needs to be fixed. And I guess that's inherently what all disruptors do when they come to market. So, Carl, thinking back to when you were frustrated about the events industry and how it was throwing up all these real problems and, um, you know, it, was, it wasn't a good feeling. I mean, obviously, it's in the disruption phase itself. How did you recognise that what you had was a product that was a disruption piece? And then did you go about it differently when you were growing the business? I, th- I think, um, in all honesty, in my last career job when I had a, an actual salary, um, part of the frustration came from the relationship between the marketing team and the sales team. Um, so the marketing team would often go off and spend all this money trying to generate business leads for the sales team. And then by the time those came to us, you know, we, we'd often look at them and go, well, that's a waste of time. I'm not going to bother. So all that cost that the marketing teams just spent came to us and we'd go, no, not really, not really into it. Thanks. So, you know, 
I, I think that was part of it. The real thing that, that, that kickstarted me to look deeply into this was to try and find a better way for charities to raise money because I got involved helping a charity called Feel the Magic, which helps children deal with grief. Uh, James Thomas and his wife, Christy, run that. And, and I, I helped them to raise some money and I discovered how hard it was to keep raising money for a charity. And so I thought, what, what better way to try and raise money than to take existing funds that exist and repurpose it? And so that was really, the, the, it was coming into looking at where that money was currently going and then working out a better way to actually repurpose it and make a difference. And ultimately it was the conferences and the snouts in the trough lunch and learns and all the all the drinking and the the the, the food the, the dinners the lunches it was just astronomical i've got friends who are ctos but they get invited at least 30 times per week to, to to lunches and dinners and of course they can't take them all but you know just imagine if all of that all of that money was donated to charity rather than to an executive's belly so we're actually keeping the we're actually keeping the country healthy um by by keeping these meetings uh, away from the away from the restaurants, and let's let's not even discuss the amount of food waste that, that those sort of things generate as well. I mean, it's abhorrent. Um, what I, what I'm interested in is obviously you were involved in the industry in order to be able to recognise it as needing change. Is that a fundamental requirement if you think of yourself as a disruptor? Do you need to be embedded? Do you need to be able to see what's wrong from the inside? I, I think that helps absolutely. I you know I. I think if you look at most of the entrepreneurs out there, they've either fell across something lucky, really luckily, or they've worked in an industry where you know they've they've seen that something's broken and it's not changing fast enough. And that could be insurance, it could be finance, it could be it could be anything. You look at the afterpays of the world, you know, the whole the whole financing model to the millennials completely disrupted with afterpay because the credit card companies just weren't coming to the party. So I think you know, I think if you've been working in an industry for 10, 15, 20 years, you are absolutely, if, you, if you've got the, 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 you know, the, the desire, you've got, the, you've got the, the background and the skills because you've been in it for so long um, to be able to look at, some, look at that whole industry objectively and find out what's broken and find something else that could repair it, basically. And that's, that's how the disruption works. Now, now, during our prep, you said something really awesome. You said um, people are going to try and shut you down when, and that's how you know you're on the right path because they're fearful and they can see either too much change happening and they don't want to change or they can actually see something that's quite detrimental to their industry and it's going to really stuff things up. Is that a good thing when people are starting to tell you to stop? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, I, I think so. I think, um, you know, people get – go and look at any, ex, any, any career-focused entrepreneur um, that's, they've, they've taken their career and they've turned it into a, into their own into a business. They'll all probably say the same thing: "You're crazy, you know, you're mad. Don't do it. What are you stupid?" You know, the amount of times I got told no um, by executives who who were basically saying, "No, you can't do this," um, was, was it was it was insane. Um, but then, of course, you know, you, you you are the lone nut dancing on the hill by yourself. But eventually, if you keep going and your passion's enough and you see the value in what you're doing, you'll keep going. And if you keep going long, long enough, there'll be more people dancing with you on the hill. And then eventually that critical mass will hit when all those people that said no will look stupid because everybody else has said yes. And that's, that, that's I think, what you have to do is just recognise that and keep going because there will be so many people that will come and try and shut you down. I've, I, had it, I had it all the time. People would tell me, go and get a real job. <laughs> and it was, it was just constant. And, and you know, ultimately, if, if you 
find something that's your purpose and your passion you th- this is this is my job and this is what i do i it doesn't feel like work though so i, I sort of get what they're saying um and, and yeah, i, I, call, I, I feel, call it a job yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> just over broke yeah exactly look i think and, and that's what's interesting about that is that um you know to be a disruptor you've got to be able to lead from the front and have that critical mass behind you is one of the personality traits of a disruptor someone who's Heart takes a lot of risk, or can you be risk adverse and also be a disruptor? I think you can be both. I really do. I think you can you can plan and strategize. I think you know I'm, I'm 50 now, and I, I think about where I was born in, in in the UK, and how we were we were raised without any internet and any phones or anything like that, and so we were we were inherent risk takers anyway because we had to we had to run to the swimming pool. It was five miles away, and there was no way to get get back unless you walked across the farmer's field and you know you had to get back before it was dark otherwise you get get you get lost or you get scared and so we were, we were always taking risks i think from an early age and i i think for me as uh, you know i left home at left left school at 15 and left home at 16 so for me fear just didn't exist because i i always knew you'd be okay in the end but i think you do have to have um you you have to have some sort of inside knowledge that you'll be okay and i think if you do that and you recognize that then you'll be able to keep going and you need to surround yourself with people who i guess believe in you or is it more independence in believing in yourself do you think turn the news tv off and surround yourself with with literally the people that believe in you because you know i'm a big believer of this surround the, the average of you become the average of the five people you hang around most that is critical and so I look at the five people that I hang around most and I, and they're all successful people and I, I can reach out to them any time of the day and, and, and get guidance from them. And that, that for me is really important. I also know if I sit down and watch the TV and watch the news, and, and you can test this yourself, go and sit down and watch the news for 30 days and watch the quality of your thoughts deteriorate. And it, it, it literally will. Similarly, turn it off and watch them improve. And that's, that's what I do. I, I just make sure that everything that goes into my brain isn't isn't garbage and i'm surrounded by the people that that can lift me up because there's plenty of people that will pull you down in this country for sure (laughs) yeah and that's the thing especially when you're in that disruptor field because you're going to have people who are the negative naysayers because they're fearful of change um you've just got to surround yourself with people who are being positive now we talked in the um in the in our prep about the 50 50 model um what does that mean in terms of fundraising well, when I first started this this whole meat magic thing, it was it was you know I have to make it fair, <laughs> and I think fair for me. There's lots of companies out there that pledge one percent of their revenue or one percent of their profit, and that for me is just like it's pointless. I mean, it's, uh, unless you're an Atlassian and you've got a hundred billion dollars worth of revenue, you're pledging one percent, great. But if you're a, if you're a one million dollar company, and you're pledging one percent. It's not it's not a great amount of money that, that you're making a difference with. So I. When I looked at the 50-50 model, for me, it was about, okay, what's fair? And, and I think, for me, this, this was never about me buying the Ferrari and having nice holidays. This was always about raising $250 million to charity before I died. That was the, that's the key goal, and it still is. Um, and so I thought, the quicker I can get there, the better I can die. <laughs> so I don't want to get there too quickly, but, but the 50-50 model came about because I know that the average cost of uh, – um, of, of a lead, let's say that, that the tech companies have at the moment is around two and a half to three thousand dollars. So I'll just make it a flat thousand, and I'll give half of it away. That was the model that I came up with. So one, it's cheaper than the, what they're currently spending, and two, it gives me a chance to keep the business going with that fifty percent 
and give the other 50% to charity. And, and since we've, we've sort of kickstarted this whole meeting for good campaign with Starlight, I've flipped it up to 70-30. So um, we're doing we're actually 70% of our meeting fee goes to charity and we and we keep the 30% to run the business. And, and it, so far it seems to be holding up. Yeah, I mean, that's 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 massive. I mean, that's huge. When you take away that, those profit margins from yourself, you're making quite a big sacrifice. Is that something that you say should be expected of people in the not-for-profit sector? Because a lot of people go, not-for-profit, I'm just going to spend as much as I can to push down my taxable income and therefore I'm not making a profit, therefore it's not-for-profit. Are you saying that there should be sort of more of a clear indication of how much they should give in terms of a percentage? No, well, I mean, for us, we, we're, we're a for-purpose. So we're not a not-for-profit. Um, we're a for-purpose business and there's plenty of those out there. They're allowed to make money and profit and do good at the same time it's okay to make money and do good and that's that's that, that's i think there's a there's a stigma attached to this whole not-for-profit thing so i think you're starting to see a lot of not-for-profits now spin up their own for purpose businesses who did it recently it was the um the oz harvest guys so they you, you've probably seen obviously oz harvest are a charity well they've got a couple of for purpose businesses on the side one of them i think squeezes oranges so they take a whole lot of manky oranges that, that are no good for the, for the supermarkets, and they put them in these little juice boxes all around the city, and you can pay five dollars to get a, a juice, a fresh orange juice. Well, that's a for-purpose business spun up by Oz Harvest, and that can make as much money as it wants and not be not be chastised. So I think that's that's an in, a, you know an important distinction to make that we're not a, a not-for-profit, we're a for-purpose. And for me, the whole point of fifty-fifty was just you know I, I, it's just not about making money. It's not about making the, the, the house or the car payments. This is about you know, finding a better way for charities to get money by repurposing what's broke or fixing what's broken out, out there in the market. And you know, so far, when I look at the number of meetings that we've done this year and the amount of money we've raised for, for Starlight, it's, it, it's quite remarkable. And I think it's, it, as a testing ground, Australia has been great. I think as the next phase of growth, you know, we're, we're looking at the US, UK, and New Zealand and Singapore now. Um, this is this is this is this is just the start of it. It's, it started here, but it's going to be. I think when, when you look at it, you know, what, what we can do with twenty-five million people. Well, imagine what you can do with three hundred million people. Yeah, I mean, it's it's exciting times, and you've got to have that. Uh, I can hear it. We can hear it in your voice that excitement and enthusiasm, and just the looking forward to the future that sort of forms the purpose of what it is that you're doing. Um, if you've just joined us, everyone, don't forget you're listening to Triple H and Small Biz Matters. You can catch up by a podcast where there's over 180 small business educational podcasts to listen to just like this one. So make sure you subscribe and give us a little thumbs up if you're happy with what you're listening to. So, Carl, the last thing I wanted to ask you about was partnering with the right product. How did you choose Starlight Foundation and what would you suggest to a similar entrepreneur who wants to do something with Profit for Purpose? How do they find the right charity to partner with? Well, I think I think they found us, which was really quite exciting. Um, so the way it happened for us was, you know, I, we, we were doing multiple charities when we first started the whole the whole magic program. Um, so the executive got to choose which charity they supported, which is great. I mean, we you know we we donated to many many different charities, but then one day uh, one of the board members of Starlight who was taking the meetings, I think Paul Keane. Um, who was at the time, I think he was the head of software engineering at Qantas. He called me and said, look, I love what you're doing with the meetings. I've taken a few of them myself. They're really good. Um, I'm on the board of Starlight. I'd love you to come and try and help us 
uh, raise some money because you know we need to find our version of the CEO sleep out. We don't have it just yet. Um, so I went and sat with Max, uh, who was the head of the head of um, partnerships, and I came up with this model called Meeting for Good, which is what, what everyone's seeing in the marketplace at the moment. Um, so really, I think it was it was the it, it was the success. And this is the, this is probably the ability to keep going when you think it's all too hard. Because you know, if I'd have stopped when it got all too hard in the first and second year, you, know, you think you're doing well because you've got some growth. But you know, if that growth doesn't pay the bills and put the food on the table then, you know, to keep going from that, through that is very, very difficult. But I somehow managed to find the strength to keep that going. And um, and then all of a sudden, you know, the, the Paul came along and had a, had a conversation with us, which really gave us that boost uh, and, and kicked us off. But it was it was literally that, that, that they found us. But I think if you've got an idea and you want to, you want to you know, to, to work with a partner, you've really got to have some proven success because they just won't partner with you unless you've actually got a model that's working already. So I think you've got to either pick them. You've either got to have a little bit of a track record and create. And this is the whole point of, about wowing your customers and making sure that your first ten or twenty or thirty customers that you've got really have a positive experience. Because then they talk about it. Of course, we know that bad news travels faster than quick news. So you know, make sure that your first ten clients or twenty clients that you've got really have a really positive experience, and they'll talk about it. And, and what I like about the way you're describing that relationship is it's mutually beneficial. You have the benefit of being able to, I guess, um, use Starlight Foundation as a platform to sell, um, but they in turn have the funds, but they've got that reliable source of funding as well. And it sounds to me like it's a partnership. As, as you described it, a lot of people would have this approach of, well, I'm just giving you money, therefore you give me the rights to use your logo and everybody's happy. So. Mm-hmm. That's obviously a part of your plan as well as to keep that relationship fostered. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we, you know, for us, the, the branding of Starlight is huge because everyone knows who Starlight are, and you know, they've 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 they've, they've got reach into places that we don't necessarily even know about. So, you know, for us, that, that partnership model was was really powerful, and it just it just made logical sense. And you know, ultimately, it's given us a chance to prove that what my dream was of of making a better way to raise money, whether or not it can work or not. And so I think what we've, what we've proven, I think when we started the campaign last year, um, I'm giving you a bit of inside knowledge here. When we started the campaign last year, we signed a memorandum of understanding and we, we put in that some basic figures. Um, we want to get 500 executives signed up and we want to raise $300,000 um, in, in funds. Well, it's now November, almost a year to the day, and we've got 500 executives signed up and we're just about to hand over a check for $300,000 to Starlight. And we've done all that during the bushfires, during COVID, during lockdown. Because it's purposeful, because you've valued people's time and you've seen where there's an opportunity and you, you've run with it. Look, Carl, I can't thank you enough for coming on the program. It's been fascinating. I'm glad you were my first disruptor on Small Biz Matters. Tell us how people can find out more about Meet Magic. All right, it's very simple. Go to meetmagic.org. Um, and just have a look. They, they can. They, there's videos on there, and there's all sorts of different different bits of information on there. On the, you know, we're always looking for executives to come and give us their time. So if if if, if, the, if there's executives that want to pledge some time and, and raise some money for their own charity or for for Starlight, we, they can pick if they want to. Um, they can register on our platform, and and we can help connect them. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Carl. Thank you everybody for listening. It's been a great program, and remember. If you've missed any of today's show, you can, of course, catch up via podcast, iTunes, Spotify, wherever you ingest your small business education. My name has been Alexi Boyd, and we'll see you all next week. 
This week's episode was proudly broadcast from Triple H Studios in Sydney, Australia and sponsored by the Office of the Australian Small Business and Family Enterprise Ombudsman. If you've enjoyed listening, go ahead and give us some thank you stars on your podcasting platform. It would be much appreciated. Then head to the Small Biz Matters website where you can listen to over 170 episodes, read more about our speakers and find out how to become a media partner. See you all next time. Thank you.